All right, how you doing? Um, enjoying your Saturday night? I know I am. Uh, just watched a couple of basketball games. Man, the Lobos had a big win over Nevada. You know, way to go, New Mexico. Uh, then the Aztecs laid a big egg against Boise State. So after that, I decided to put together another podcast. So here we are. And we're going to talk about a bunch of great topics today. We're going to get into some national politics. We're going to talk about the shutdown and the wall and President Trump. We're going to talk about um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Pago and I got a bunch of things to get into it. So, um, hey, Saturday night, let's have some fun. So um, this is the John Riley Project. It is episode 27. It's January 5th, 2019, broadcasting from the fabulous JRP podcast studio here in Poway, California. It's raining outside. Um, and um, we got a lot to get into. Um, hey, what's been going on with you? Have you been enjoying your new year? Are we getting the new year off to a good start? You know, or you, if you, do you have some good New Year's resolutions? Um, you know, for me, I want to do a lot more of this. I want to share with you uh, with the podcast. I want to get and do some more sit down interviews, and we're, we're working right now to schedule a few of those uh, in the new year. But I've got you know big plans for the podcast. I'm working on some new things. Um, you know, I'm hoping to roll them out shortly for you. Uh, but we're already experimenting. This My podcast studio is really my living room, and I'm always kind of experimenting with technology. And you can see I got a little green screen fun going on here. So I'm learning about it. I'm, I'm enjoying as I'm learning about it. Uh, so, I, you know, if you're watching today for the first time or listening for the first time, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And if you're a, a loyal listener, you like to check out every episode, um, hey, thank you for doing that. Thanks for being loyal listener. Thanks for listening and viewing every episode of The John Riley Project. I really appreciate that. I really do. Um, but, you know, this week, um, uh, what do you got planned? You know, I'm... I, I'm you know, we're kind of all ramping back up with work. I know that's true. Uh, this coming week uh, weekend, I, I think we're going to leave either Thursday or Friday on a road trip. So my son and I are heading out to Albuquerque um, for his uh, first semester at uh, University of New Mexico. He didn't have a car. Um, I thought that was a good way to get started as a freshman, less distraction. Um, but he's always driving down to the athletic facility to work out. And so um, we're uh, getting him a car out there. So we're driving it out. Um, it should be an interesting adventure. It's cold. I'm hoping a lot of the snow was melted. Albuquerque has been had a, like a lot of snow over the last couple of weeks or so. Um, but I'm hoping that um, the roads are clear for our trip. It should be an interesting adventure. Um, but uh, I don't know about you, but man, it's been cold. I, I'm like an old man. I like to have a blanket. I get so cold all the time. I don't know how you're feeling about all this. I've got the heater cranking, wearing the sweater today just to keep myself cozy. So um, anyways, uh, let's get into this. Um, no, wait, before we do that, um, what are you doing on social media? Do you like to follow on Twitter, Facebook? Twitter is the platform I probably use the most. So I encourage you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is John Riley Poway. Um, and I'm always talking stuff on Twitter, usually politics and sports are the two things I love talking about. So um, I encourage you to, to connect with me on Twitter. But let's get into the wall. And it, the, 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 
you know, the Trump and the wall and this whole thing has been dominating the news cycle the last week or two. I mean, it was obviously a huge issue in the 2016 um, race. Uh, the campaign for president, and it's still a hot button now. And now there's leverage being applied to get the wall. And let's go through this together because I got a bunch of thoughts on the wall and President Trump and the policy and everything else. The first thing I want to say is, is that I believe this is theater. I think it's a circus. I think people are being played. That's what's going on here. So let's break it down and I'll explain it. Okay. The first thing is, is that let's go over the dollars and cents. The the wall that's that is really everyone's battling over, you know, up in D.C. is is five billion dollars worth of spending. Consider that the federal budget is four point four trillion dollars. Okay, so that means that we're we're in this scrum over one one thousandth of the total federal budget. It's a tiny tiny sliver uh, on a pie chart, a tiny fraction of the overall spending. And this is what's causing all of this hysteria. That goes on, that goes to show you that what this is, is that it, this is, we're being played. What's happening is, is that, you know, the powers that be are pushing the political buttons to get people um, worked up over this tiny, insignificant fraction of our budget. And guess what? This this five billion dollar expenditure, that's not going to put the a, a concrete wall the entire two thousand miles of the southern border. That's not going to happen. It's going to only give us about two hundred miles of border, and I'll say wall in quotes. It may not even be a wall. It's probably going to be a fence. Um, you know, the vision is this concrete wall, like like the Berlin Wall or the Great Wall of China. It's not going to be that. It's probably going to be a fence. Um, and even that, it's only a couple hundred miles. Now, if people can get across the border on foot, a 200-mile border, border wall isn't going to change that very much. People are just going to walk around the wall. So again, we're being played. Okay, so pay attention. Um, now, what I think is going on here is that there are a lot of things that are happening that I think are not playing out in Trump's favor. Okay, you got the Democrats that have taken over the House. The stock market has been in decline. Um, you've got uh, some fragility in the economy. We've got you know these wars that are going on in various parts of the uh, of, of the on the planet. Um, you know we've got uh, President Trump backing off on a lot of his campaign promises. You know oh by the way remember. Who's going to pay for the wall? Mexico's going to pay for the wall. Of course, no. Now he's trying to sucker us into paying for the wall. See how this works? Okay, so there's a lot of negative things that are going on. And I think what th this, what, what's happening is, is that the American people are being played and it's creating a distraction. This is all a distraction to keep our focus away from the generals abandoning Trump to the, the, the deficit that's nearly a trillion dollars. I mean, we can go down a huge list of items, a huge list of policies that are far bigger problems to focus on than illegal immigration. I mean, illegal immigration is a problem. But if you were to stack rank the priorities in America, it's, in my opinion, it's not even in the top 10. Um, I mean, we've got 
a trillion dollar, almost a trillion dollar deficit. We got a $22 trillion national debt. Okay. We've got a healthcare system that's a friggin' cluster. We've got structural deficits in social security and Medicare that need to be um, reformed. Um, We've got our military spread all over the world, um, managing an empire or, you know, manipulating all these other foreign governments. We've got a insane incarceration state in the United States where hundreds of thousands of of nonviolent people are being thrown into cages. I mean, we've got a slew of problems in this country. Illegal immigration is not one of the the biggest problems. Um, and it's and there's a lot of ways we can solve it. And, I, and I'm going to get into that. But um, I think that um, the president knows that he has a base of voters that are very loyal to him, and he has to keep them loyal. Remember, this is the base of voters that he said, I could go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and I'd still get their vote. Well, those voters need to remain loyal because remember, President Trump only won the 2016 election just barely. I mean, there were four states that he was able to win that... um, that were surprises. Those were Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And and all four of those um, states, he only barely won and got those electoral college votes. And that's what really swung the election. So if there is any, even just a minor reduction in his support, he's going to be in trouble in 2020. And Already, we've now got in 2018, we've got the Democrats taking control of the House, and we can already see he's going to have a lot more resistance to his agenda. He's going to have more challenges getting things through if he didn't already have challenges before. So now he's got to create a way to just keep pumping up his base and keep firing them up. And I believe that's what this this wall um, battle is is largely about. Um, so, and heck, he's even he's even saying he wants to double down on this. You know, we're going to keep this shutdown going for months or years until we get the wall. And, you know, and his supporters are cheering him on. You're like, way to go, President Trump, you know, because he wants to keep that base fired up. And, heck, if you go on Facebook or on Twitter, you'll see the the chatter and the memes. And there's some people... Like I have some friends that are really hardcore Trump supporters that are constantly pushing that message of we need the wall. And I've got other friends that are hardcore progressives that are, that are like fans of Bernie Sanders um, that are mocking the wall. Never mind the fact that Bernie Sanders largely is not a warm embracer of immigration himself. Um, but that's another story. Um, because he generally wants to protect the, the, the economy in America for American workers. Um, so, and again, this is a little bit of an aside, but Trump and, and uh, Sanders are largely aligned on a number of issues, and you wouldn't believe it unless you really broke down the facts, and that's what this is one of them. Um, so what's the solution to this immigration issue, to illegal immigration? Well, Let's let's roll the clock back and let's look at when our nation was founded. The year we all know the year, right? 1776 is when the was when the Declaration of Independence was was signed. And and what did it say in the preamble? It said that all men are created equal. 
Okay, look at that part right there. Not now, by the way, when they say all men, they mean men and women. And I guess they mean all the other genders that we're now defining today. But everybody is created equal. And it doesn't say all Americans are created equal. It says all men are created equal. And it goes on further to say that they all are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, which among these are the the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Again, notice it doesn't say these rights are only for Americans. They're for everybody. Um, Because this, remember during this time, this was the age of enlightenment, the age of reason. This is when we had philosophers like Adam Smith, and well, he was an economist, but philosophers like uh, John Locke and, and, and others that were really embracing uh, the, the, really the teachings of, we can go back to Aristotle you know, during Greek times, where as an individual, we own our own life. And we, we believe we should be able to control our own life as long as we don't violate the rights of other people. And it shouldn't be up to a king or some other authoritarian to dictate to us how to run our own life. That was what was going on during this time frame and during this age of reason, age of enlightenment. This was all about individual rights. Some people call them natural rights, that by nature, we are born with freedom, with liberty. Um, and it's only other forces that want to diminish that liberty. And so when our federal government was created, it was created to, and it says this in the Declaration of Independence, it was created to secure those individual rights. <laughs> I think I'm channeling Seinfeld right here. Remember that episode where they went and rented the car at the airport? Anybody can take a reservation. The key is to hold the reservation. Well, in this case, for the federal government, they're trying to, you know, to secure those inalienable rights. And so this doesn't mean it only applies to Americans, it applies to everybody. And so that's why I think immigration is really a human right. We have the right to move, to travel. Okay, now that doesn't mean we have the right to squat on other people's private property, but it does mean that we have the right to travel. And, you know, even as Americans, you know, I can, I just talked about it. I'm going to drive from California to New Mexico, just like you can. But at the same time, you know, we have friends and family that live in other countries and they come and visit. Maybe they're tourists. Um, They come and visit. And then maybe we go visit there and there is freedom of travel. This is just a general human condition. It's a human right. Um, So I think we, we have to go, heck, look at our history as, as a country. In the 19th century, like the time between the Civil War and World War I, there was a huge influx of immigrants that came to America. Speaking for myself, that's where my ancestors came from, Ireland and England. Maybe your ancestors did too. Um, and that's what built this nation. It transformed it from uh, you know, a mercantile agricultural nation, you know, prior to the Civil War, into this economic powerhouse um, that we had as we got into the 20th century. And it was driven by all of these immigrants that came here seeking freedom, seeking opportunity, and they wanted to come here to improve their lives, and they did. So I think we should encourage immigration. 
Now, I know what some of you are saying. Yeah, we need to encourage legal immigration. It needs to be legal, not illegal. Okay, I get that. So let's get into that. Okay, because um, we need to, if, if we want to prevent illegal immigration, the solution is to make legal immigration easier, faster, cheaper, better. We need to improve legal immigration because if we can streamline that process, then we will be able to have less people coming in illegally. I mean, the wall itself, the whole concept of a wall, it's a rep- the wall is a representation of a failed immigration policy. That's why you have to have walls, okay? Uh, because the immigration policy doesn't work. Um, so we need to invest in making that process move faster, okay? So l- let me share with you an example, and this, is, this happened in my life. So in the early 1990s, I used to work for a Japanese software company, and what we did is um, we took American software programs and we localized them for the Japanese market. So we translated the software and we also added functionality to the software to, to be appropriate for the Japanese marketplace. Like we had some graphics programs and we would add vertical writing. We did double byte enabling to allow kanji. So this is like around 1991, 92 in that time frame. And so we had an office in Tokyo. There were 85. Um, and then there were five of us in San Diego. Um, and it was an interesting experience for me out of the whole company. And this is like almost 90 people. I was the only person that wasn't Japanese. Um, but I, I ran the American office and I was responsible for bringing these American companies to the plate and helping them, uh, you know, essentially helping them grow their business and, and export their software to Japan. So... I, I'm digressing, but what um, what we had an we had an issue that there was an engineer that was in Tokyo that wanted to move to San Diego. Um, this this gentleman, great guy by the way, um, and and he wanted to come to San Diego. The company wanted to transfer him here because he was bilingual. Uh, bicultural. He was a Japanese citizen. He was born in Japan, but he went to college in the United States. Um, so he was well accustomed with our 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 culture and our traditions. Um, and he wanted to be acclimated to American society. You know, that was his goal. And so we were trying to bring him over to the San Diego office so he, we could help, he could help us in our effort. Now, and it was extremely difficult to do this. Our company had to spend thousands and thousands of dollars with an attorney that specialized in immigration to navigate the process so that he can get a work visa to come to America. Um, and at the same time, um, it took like nine to 12 months, if I recall, for this to be approved. So you're thinking if the immigration process is this cumbersome, this bureaucratic, this overly regulated, then that's what encourages other people to say, screw it, I'm just going to enter illegally. I'm just going to enter as a tourist, fly in, and then you know my tourist visa will eventually expire, and then who cares, I'm already in. This, that's why you'll see also some, some of the migrants that come across the, the, the southern border, some of them will hike um, through the desert and through the mountains and treacherous, you know, um, uh, 
you know, put their life at risk to do this because the process to enter through normal legal channels is so cumbersome, so bureaucratic, so overly regulated. What would you expect? This is the federal government. That's the way they do business. So if we were to make that process run more smoothly, then we would have a we would have immigrants coming here legally. Okay, and I think that's going to satisfy a lot of people because we want legal immigration, right? And then we'll have less l- illegal immigration. Um, so uh, I just think the wall itself is just a terrible symbol. The wall is a symbol that is the opposite of freedom. The wall is a symbol that is the opposite of liberty. It's the opposite of the founding principles of our nation, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The wall physically blocks people from that. So I, I just think we, we're, I think ultimately we're being played. I think Trump is pushing buttons to fire up his base and to also create chaos, to create some um, you know, hair on fire with his opponents. And um, I think it's a distraction from a lot of other issues that are far more pressing and there are far larger problems. But in the end, I think building a wall is the wrong approach. You need to fix the immigration policy. That's the solution. Um, so enough of that, enough of the wall. But I'm going to get into the shutdown, which is sort of connected to it, right? But before I do, I just want to put this out there. Um, one of my goals in 2019 for the John Riley Project, is we're, I want to have more guests. You know, we, we did a great job of having a lot of the local political candidates here in uh, the Poway area that joined me. And that was a great experience. I'm trying to work up more guests. And so I've got a number of them that we've been playing tag and trying to coordinate schedules. And so um, just even just just today, I got a response from I think is going to be a great guest that's going to be joining us on the John Riley Project. But I really would like to have more. My goal is to have one guest a week. Um, so if we can have one sit down conversation a week, um, I'd love to share that with you. Um, and I'd love to just learn about some of our interesting people that we have here in the North uh, San Diego, North County Inland area in San Diego County in general. People that can join me here at the fabulous John Riley Project podcast studio in my living room here in Poway, California. So I'll put that out to you. So if you would like to be a guest, if you know someone that you'd like to recommend to be a guest, go to my website at johnreillyproject.com. There you can fill out a form. You can send me a note. All my social media links are there. You can connect with me and let me know uh, because I'm always interested in more guests. Okay. Let's go to the shutdown. The shutdown is is the yin and the yang of this wall, right? Um, and the government is so-called shut down because uh, the Democrats don't want to fund the wall. I mean, that's how it's being positioned. Now, again, all throughout 2015 and 2016, President Trump was out at these huge rallies and we're going to build a wall. It's going to be a beautiful wall. And who's going to pay for the wall? Mexico is going to pay for it. What a line of BS. Now he wants the American people to pay for it. And he's holding the government hostage. He's shutting down part of the government in order to ensure that American taxpayers pay for the wall, which is a lie from the original campaign promise. Um, But let's be real. This this shutdown that's going on right now, it's not a shutdown. Um, 
it's at least 75% of the federal budget or the federal government is, is operational. I mean, look at, is Social Security being distributed? Yes. Are patients that are on Medicare, are they getting um, healthcare services? Yes. Um, check your paycheck. Are you having money removed from your paycheck and being sent to the IRS? Yes. Um, is the military um, uh, functioning and working? Yes. Um, you know, so at least three quarters of the federal government is operational. And to call this a shutdown is silly because it's not a shutdown. Um, and uh, again, think about this. Okay, the so-called federal government shutdown. Has your life changed? Really? Has it? I mean, I would imagine for some people, yeah. Okay, there's got to, there's some citizens that there's a service from government that's no longer available temporarily. Their life's been affected. But I would contend that 90% of the people that are viewing or listening to this podcast have experienced no change in their life because of this so-called government shutdown. I'm being real here. Um, so it's really not a big difference. Now, what are the areas of the government that are being essentially shut down? Um, the one that we see a lot in the news um, are the, the national parks are, are being so-called shut down. Um, and this is always the tactic that is played. If you go on Wikipedia, go look up the term Washington Monument Syndrome. Uh, what this means is, is that when there is, ever is a government shutdown, they will always shut down. The first things they'll shut down are the ones that are most visible, that are most likely to cause shrieking of people, and the ones that are likely to going to get you know some hysteria in the news. Um, so if the if the Washington Monument is shut down, there's going to be interviews with families to say, "Oh, my vacation was ruined because the federal government decided to shut down the Washington Monument." Now, what we're hearing now are national parks, and so. You know, people, um, you know, the, the, the classic example now is that, you know, the, the offices in national parks are shut down, the restrooms are shut down. And so people that are in the parks are creating a big mess. And that's sad. I mean, some people are pigs um, and need to clean up after themselves. But again, the, 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 um, the media loves a story like this, and so they're focused on it. Um, when it in the really, again, in the whole scheme of things, this is not a big deal. I mean, if you, if you believe that our federal park, our national parks need to be cleaned up, then go, go clean them. Um, heck, I'll join you. If you want to have a weekend road trip and we'll go out to a national park and pick up trash, I will gladly help. Um, but these workers are not, these workers are, you know, being furloughed. And so some of them aren't showing up for work, which makes sense. I mean, if you're not being paid, you shouldn't show up for work. Um, but um, I think, again, a lot of this is, is, is manipulation. The classic example of this was back during the Obama administration, and there was a government shutdown. I don't know, this is around 2015 or so. And, you know, in, in Washington, D.C., on the, on the, um, on the, on the mall, they have all these memorials. And one of them was the World War II Memorial. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, it's a really neat kind of area with all these statues and, you know, it's a physical structure. Um, but it's not staffed by government employees. But of course, um, 
when President Obama was running the government, uh, was was the president of the United States, um, during his shutdown, they actually fenced it off or roped it off, again, to create this panic and hysteria over a government facility that is free and open to the public and isn't even staffed by government officials. So again, it's just, this is comical. It's a circus. Now we're hearing that the TSA agents are not being paid, and some of them are threatening to strike. Now, first of all, if you're a federal government worker, you're not being paid, you shouldn't go to work. Um, That rule applies to anybody, even in the private sector. But believe me, if there's ever any agency that I would love to see diminished, it's the TSA. I mean, this I'm shocked that the TSA is constitutional. To me, I've always thought it was a violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's illegal search and seizure with no probable cause, with no um, warrant. Um, but I digress. Every time I go through one of those lines and I just, my blood pressure goes up because like, why am I taking off my belt and my shoes and having this huge delay just so I can travel. And how many te- how many terrorists have been caught by the TSA? To me, it just turned into this giant make work program. Um, and you've got all these, you know, federal employees, and it's no wonder that we've got an expanding federal deficit. But anyways, I'm digressing. So this, um, um, again, this, this shutdown is also Again, it's also a distraction and, and it's plays to the advantage of the Democrats, too, um, because there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of policies that the Democrats are pushing that are not necessarily very popular either. Um, and so having this shutdown in many ways plays into their hand because now they can play it where they can try to be the savior. And so we've already seen that where they've put forward legislation to um, uh, have the government, you know, started back up again. Um, Well, at least this small fraction of the government to to start up again. And they know full and well that it's not going to pass the Senate. And And even if it did, President Trump wouldn't sign it. But again, this plays nicely into this political game. And it's interesting. Again, it's a wedge issue. This wall is a wedge issue. And we can go back. There are always wedge issues that exist to separate the Republicans and Democrats. And again, I think a lot of that is theater because these two parties are very, very similar. If you look at the money being spent um, on all of these different policies, they just continue and expand depending, and it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat in office. You know, the rhetoric is, is that the Republicans want to kill Social Security and Medicare. The liberals and, and some Democrats will even will say that. But the reality is, is that the, 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 the Republicans, they don't just continue to fund in Medicare and Social Security. Heck, they expand it. During the President Bush administration, uh, George W. Bush, they added a whole new segment to Medicare, Medicare Part D for prescription drugs. They expand Medicare. Um, President Reagan um, expanded or increased taxes for Social Security and in many ways expanded that program. So um, these two parties, they both want huge military spending. They might differ a little bit on degree, but they all want giant military spending. They want, you know, foreign intervention in nations around the world. They want America to act as world police. These 
two parties are so darn similar, but they need these wedge issues. In this case, it's a wall. Um, you know, remember we used to have wedge issues like gay marriage, and that was a big wedge issue even up to about maybe eight or ten years ago. But now it's it's hardly an issue at all because now the American people widely embrace it. Uh, conservatives have even come a long way and will accept gay marriage. And thank goodness they do because isn't uh, Christianity all about loving thy neighbor? Um, and now people can marry whom they wish. Um, I think that's a great progress in our society um, to have that freedom to choose. But now that that wedge issue has gone away, they need to create new wedge issues. And that's why the wall and illegal immigration nicely plays into the hands of both the federal, of both the Republicans and Democrats. And again, there's just so much hypocrisy because we can roll the clock back at, you know, in 2014 and, and even earlier when Democrats were, were wanted to fund the wall and wanted to and, and were adamant about blocking illegal immigration. I mean, Senator Dianne Feinstein during the 1990s said some awful things about illegal immigration. Um, and now she's flipped like a 180. So again, we're all being played here. Um, so just keep your eyes wide open. Um, it's ultimately a wedge issue um, and it's <laughs> this shutdown that the other great thing about the shutdown is they say, um, well, only the non-essential employees are the ones that are not being paid, you know, and you're thinking to yourself, if they're not essential, why in the heck do they exist when you, especially when you have a $22 trillion debt and a deficit that's near $1 trillion, you're overspending. Um, how in the heck can you justify the expense of all these non-essential employees? So I just, I'm I, in, in many ways I'm flabbergasted. In many ways I think it's comical. Um, I'll sit. I'm just sitting here eating my popcorn and enjoying it. But it's just theater, um, and it, and the, the, these politicians know how to push the buttons, and that's why you go on cable news, and it doesn't matter if it's MSNBC or Fox or CNN. It's just everyone's spinning. Um, everyone's hair is on fire over all these issues. And we're talking about one one thousandth of the federal budget. So anyways, um, let's talk about something else. Um, I uh, First of all, I, I thank you for watching and listening. I, I want to just reach out to you. If you're interested in being a supporter um, of the John Riley Project, we'd love to have your support. There are a lot of ways that... Um, you can help. Maybe you'd like to donate to our project. Maybe you're a business. You'd like to be a sponsor of the John Riley Project. We'd love to have that support, and we'll use that to really create more uh, content uh, to improve our um, audio and visual uh, AV production quality. Um, we're going to do more live remote events. I'm hiring people to help um, build this project. So any kind of donations that you can offer would be so appreciated if you're a business like to be a sponsor. We'd love to have you be part of the community. And if you um, want to be a donor, we're going to put together um, special um, Q&A sessions, behind the scenes sessions that'll be just available just to the donors. So if you'd like to get involved, go to my website at johnreillyproject.com. And there in our menu, you can see uh, donate and sponsor. And I invite you to reach out. Okay. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I like to call her AOC, um, just like 
there was JFK and FDR and LBJ. To me, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, her name is so long, I just say AOC. And pretty much you can use that abbreviation on the internet. Everyone knows who you're talking about. So she's, you know, recently elected, you know, during her campaign, you know, she was a firestorm of, um, uh, of, of attention, both for um, progressives um, as well as for conservatives. Some people loved her, some people hated her. So in many ways, I think um, um, AOC was, uh, was, knew how to play the game. She learned from President Trump, but she just played it from a different angle. Um, she played it from the angle um, of progressive policies. But um, she was, she knew how to, to play along um, and she knew how to push the buttons. And, and the newest thing with AOC, I think you've seen it on social media, is they found an old video of her dancing on this rooftop back when she was in college. And, you know, she's a lovely young girl and she's smiling and dancing and it, I, I'm no supporter of AOC, but I watched this video, it made me smile. You know, it was a really neat video. But for some people, they're all in a hysteria about it. And I keep thinking to myself, the video of President Trump on the Access Hollywood bus with Billy Bush was far worse than that video of AOC dancing. So um, the thing that caught my attention with her earlier in the week was um, when uh, Speaker Pelosi was getting everything organized and she was trying to reinstitute the policy of PAYGO. Um, and this is a policy that basically says... Um, if you're going to increase spending in parts of the budget, then you need to find corresponding offsets in spending to decrease so that you're overall deficit neutral. Or you maybe you find revenue generation to pay for the increased spending. But if you're going to pay for it, you've got to f- go out and find a way to offset that spending. So it's essentially deficit neutral. This is a policy that I love. I think it's responsible governance. Uh, but um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she she objected to this. Um, and I'm thinking, what? What she's telling us is she didn't want to pay for all these policies. You know, she's been talking up at the Green New Deal. She's been talking up um, Medicare for all. These are all gigantic spending proposals. And she's like, well, I don't want it. I don't want pay go. I don't want to be hamstrung. And she shared this. This is one of her quotes. She said, Paygo isn't only bad economics, it's also a dark political maneuver designed to hamstring progress on health care and other legislation. We shouldn't hinder ourselves from the start. So she's basically saying, don't worry about figuring out how to pay for it. Let's just start spending money. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're, we, we're already in a deficit that's almost a trillion dollars. We've got a $22 trillion national debt, and you want to spend way more money and you don't want to figure out a way to pay for it. And I, to me, this is just terrible governance. It's, it's immoral. I mean, it's immoral to spend money today and pass the bill on to future generations that weren't even involved in making the decision to spend the money today. That's wrong. That's just immoral. Um, and also consider the fact that um, right now the federal government has, um, you know, $22 trillion debt and they have to make interest payments on the debt. And today it's about $300 billion a year with a B. Now, 
how much money is generated in income tax revenue to the federal government. Okay, remember, the federal budget is $4.4 trillion. The income is about $3.3 trillion. So there's roughly a $1 to $1.1 trillion deficit. But of that $3.3 trillion in revenue, some of it comes from individual income tax, some from corporate tax, income tax, some comes from you know, payroll taxes, Social Security, Medicare, you know, FICA, and there's other revenue sources. But the personal income tax portion alone is about $1.5 trillion in income that comes to the federal government. But we spend $300 billion a year in interest on the debt. So that means approximately 20% of your federal income tax dollars goes to pay interest on the debt, for which we get nothing. You can look at your paycheck and look at the money that's taken out for federal income tax. And if you live here in California and you're fortunate to have a good salary, that's a ton of money that's coming out of your paycheck. And 20% of that, gone. Because it's there to pay for the interest on the debt. And the interest is not from uh, investments in in capital expenses in huge infrastructure projects, that deficit, or excuse me, that debt was incurred to pay for consumption, to pay for operational deficits. And it's just immoral to tax people and have such a high percentage of it just go to interest. Um, It's immoral to pass that on to future generations. Now, I've been talking to, to my local school district here, Poway Unified, saying they need to implement pay go. Um, but I digress again. Um, to me, it's a, it's a responsible policy. And heck, the federal government's um, the, the interest on the debt is $300 billion today. It's forecasted to be $1 trillion a year by 2028. That's just in 10 years that it's going to more than triple. So um, just to increase spending on these huge initiatives, Medicare for All, uh, the Green New Deal, um, these are gigantic spending. These are trillions and trillions of dollars. And you don't want to figure out a way to pay for it? Come on. I mean, that's just nuts. Um, I'm also, the other reason I'm a big defender of PAYGO is that it provides some limiter on the scope and power of government. Because as government is growing, it's becoming more manipulative of our individual lives. It's it's restricting our freedoms and our liberties. It's it's central planning and distorting the economy. And so the more government expands, the more it does this sort of thing. Some people say it, the government picks winners and losers. And that's a lot of what happens with our economic policies, with our tax policies and these distortions that occur. That's why I'm always a big believer that we need to restrict the power of government so we can then in turn be more free. Um, to be able to act in society without that coercive power of federal government. Now, granted, the government has a role, but I don't think it has a role to do all of these things that are that are being proposed. And so uh, PAYGO provides some form of limiting effect. For me personally, I'd love to see a balanced budget amendment. Um, that's never going to happen because the people that are elected want to keep spending and spending and spending, but at least PAYGO was a demonstration of some fiscal responsibility. I think that's what Nancy Pelosi was trying to do, was to reenact it, to demonstrate some fiscal responsibility, which makes sense in light of the fact that the Republicans have been going crazy with spending. Um, But 
I don't know, was that for show? Maybe it was. I don't know. But when Ocasio-Cortez came out against Peco, I was very disappointed. But then the following, you know, couple of days passed. And then she said, and she did this on 60 Minutes. She said, well, maybe what we need to do is increase taxes on the rich at the very highest income strata uh, as much as 70%. And I'm thinking 70%. Uh, this is insane. Like in, in figure, even in the state of California, we have extremely high state income tax that's as high as 13%. So that means for some people, their tax rate would be 83% of their income. I mean, and, and granted, I know that's not for their whole lot of income. It's progressive. So it's for a certain slice of their income. But that is just outright theft um, to, to suggest um, income tax rates that high. And I don't care what moral position you're sta- uh, you, you, you have to support how that money's being spent. The fact that you have to take it from other people and take 70% of it to me is immoral. That in and of itself is immoral, no matter how moral you believe your policies are of Medicare for all and Green New Deal and, and everything else. And never mind the, 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 this thing is, if you break down the Green New Deal, you know what it is? It's loaded with corporate welfare. You know, they talk about it as investments in green technologies, but what it is, it's taxpayer subsidies of private corporations. I thought progressives were supposed to be against this sort of thing. Um, but now it's like, huh. oh, all right. Um, what else? Um I do want to say this. I think that AOC is someone that needs to be taken very seriously. Um, she is, um, uh, you know, she's she's a hot button in the news right now. I think she will continue to be as long as she is so fearless in talking about the issues she speaks on, because she is speaking and um, doing so from a moral basis. She's making moral arguments. Now, you may agree or disagree with her morality. She is making uh, her her um, time in office a moral quest, and what I see is the um, the pushback against her um, from the Republicans, from conservatives, from free market liberty minded folks um, is generally people are just calling her names. They they mock her for her youth, for her misstatements. They mock her for her dancing. Um, they, and she has made some stupid comments. Okay, let's be real. But she's really young too. I think she's still in her 20s. Um, but she, you can't fight back on this um, by, by personal attacks. You have to make it a battle of ideas. And in order to do that, you have to speak from a moral perspective foundation. That's why I believe that initially uh, eliminating PAYGO is immoral because you're passing those expenses to people that aren't even born yet. Um, And it's also immoral if you're going to tax other people as high as 70%. That's just outright theft. That's immoral. And that's that's how we need to combat this is from a moral perspective. But she... She's young. She's emboldening the uh, the youth in America. She speaks from a moral position. Um, take she needs to be taken very seriously. I think some people want to take her lightly, and I think they do so um, at their own risk. So, um, 
What else? Yeah, this we need to have a battle of ideas. That's what I'm trying to do here with the John Riley Project is to talk about big ideas. Um, and we did a lot of that in our sit-down conversations with the political candidates in the fall. And I want to do a lot more of that in sit-down conversations. And even here in today's podcast, I think we're talking about big ideas. We're talking about immigration. We're talking about um, individual rights. We're talking about... Um, uh, federal budget. Now, that's a big idea. That's a big issue. Um, we're talking about um, uh, tax policies. We're talking about uh, health care policies. Um, we can go down the list. So we're, we're touching on big ideas. I, I want to get more into this because I love learning. Now, granted, I have my own opinion, but my opinion sometimes changes. There have been a number of issues where I, my opinion has shifted um, you know, over time. I mean, heck, roll back the clock to the 1980s. I was against gay marriage. I think I didn't really understand it. I didn't understand inalienable rights. I didn't understand liberty. I was young. I was in my 20s. Um, but now I'm older, I'm wiser, and my opinions have shifted on a lot of issues. Perhaps they've shifted on issues yourself. Maybe you've evolved. That's why I want to have this conversation. I enjoy the discussion. I enjoy the dialogue. And I enjoy doing it in a civil and rational manner. And I hope to do that with a lot of guests here on the John Riley Project. I hope to do that here in these solo podcasts. And so that's what I'm trying to do here. This is my New Year's resolution for 2019. I want to do more of this. And I want you to join me in that conversation. Um, and you can do that on social media. Go to my Facebook page, John Riley Project. Go to my Instagram uh, uh, page for John Riley. Um, I think that one I just have under my own personal name, John Riley, not the John Riley Project. And then I told you I'm on Twitter. So I, I invite you to connect. Um, but I do want to say this. I want to thank everyone. I want to thank you all for the support you've given me thus far. I want to thank you. If you're, if you're just joining us for the first time, I want to thank you. And if you've made it this far, if you've gone through the whole podcast to this point, I want to double and triple thank you. Um, and I invite you all, please share this with your friends and your neighbors. Find three people. Maybe two of them you think might enjoy this. Maybe there's one person that maybe might not, but just let them know, hey, look up John Riley Project on iTunes, on Spotify. Look them up on YouTube. Go to the website, John Riley Project. There's this guy that's talking about big ideas. Um, and he's not a guy with like hair on fire like the guys on cable news. He's trying to have a rational conversation. Um, so I invite you to share this with other people. And in doing so, that'll help us grow and that'll enable us to do even more and produce even more content. So I will be back to do this all over again. Um, a couple of words of wisdom. Um, don't steal. Don't take people's stuff. Don't hit people. Don't harm people. Or maybe we should just put it in better words. In the words of a modern day philosopher who passed away a number of years ago, but a man of wisdom, Patrick Swayze, in the movie Roadhouse, he said, be nice. And so I conclude episode 27 of the John Riley Project with the words of Patrick Swayze, be nice. And I will be back and have a great day. Thank you all. Bye-bye. <laughs>